Today's dead idea, serfdom. The legal condition of being tied to the land that you live on. Your landlord owns you and you are pretty much a slave. See part one for more on that. Today, we are going to get an in-depth experience of life on a Russian surf commune in 1834. And we're going to do it in a fun way as a role-playing game, which we haven't done before. So this is going to be a new experience for all of us. The goal is to make the show feel even more immersive than it already is. So let's all be serfs on a Russian commune. That's what we're talking about today on Dead Ideas. Hey, thanks for listening, everybody. The music we just heard was created by Rachel Westhoff, my lovely wife, whose favorite surf was always Papa Surf. You know, I made that joke coming over here. <laughs> and we're still married. Yes. I, uh... <laughs> I preferred surfette myself, although brainy surf is probably a, what I would be if I was a surf. <laughs> I couldn't, I'm ashamed to admit, I couldn't actually remember any of the surf besides Papa Surf. <laughs> the surfs with Garganelle, they kind of seem kind of Russian to me. Well, well that was the setup. Imagine. It's just, so you know, Russian serfs, they lived in this little village, and the men were separated from the women, and they were ruled by the village elder, who was called Papa Surf. <laughs> did you did you read the book by <laughs> Hanna-Barbera? <laughs> okay, well, anyway. Should we sing some traditional Russian peasant surf songs? No. La, 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 la. Don't worry, listeners, this will all be edited out, and you will never be subjected to any of it. Unless you were paying for it. Yes, this episode is going to be very surfy. All right. So anyway, I'm BT Newberg. You can call me Brandon. Joining me once again are my co-hosts, Anna. I thought you were going to say Nick first. <laughs> I like to keep you guessing. And Nick. I'm checking for traps. <laughs> we're we're role-playing, right? Role-playing game, yeah. <laughs> um, last time, we talked about how to get ensurfed, basically. the How serfdom arose in Russia and went into deep into the history of that. And uh, it was kind of a weird thing because it happened at the same time that it was dying out in the rest of Europe. So, very interesting story. Check out part one for that. This time, we're going to experience life on a Russian surf commune. And when I say commune, don't think communism. That's different. That's a whole, like, government ideology. This is different. So are we supposed to think dreadlocks and pot and kombucha and not, <laughs> not free love? Not that either. <laughs> A bunch of nutritional yeast that's growing all over the inside of a refrigerator? Not a Smurf village either. No, none of that. Serfdom was actually abolished more than 50 years before the communist revolution in Russia. So it's not communism. But nevertheless, the serfs lived in a communal village system, which was called a mir. And was idealized by a lot of the early Russian revolutionaries. Yes, that is true. The The Soviet historians kind of wanted that to be sort of like... They wanted to portray it as like a stepping stone on the inevitable historical trajectory toward ideal communism, basically. Also sort of the ideal thing by other revolutionary parties that lost out in jockeying for power with the Bolsheviks after the revolution. Okay. Social revolutionaries as opposed to the social democrats. Hmm. Okay. Very cool. were very, very peasant idealizing. Okay. Well, anyway, the, uh, the word mir, which means commune, has some other meanings as well, one of which is world. So the same 
Same word means both commune and world. And given that you, as a serf, cannot leave your estate without special permission from your landlord, and you might never step outside it in your entire life, your commune literally was actually your world, yeah. pretty much, day in and day out. It's also your world in another sense. If we compare it to American slavery, as we heard last time, the plantation in America was very different. It was a slave owner's world in which the African slaves were a small minority within that were very obviously tightly controlled. In contrast, for Russia, the Russian commune is more of a serf's world in which the landlord is the alien, the very small minority that is not like most of the people in Russia. So your world is like the world of Russia. Your commune is what most of Russia is like at that time. And your landlord is the interloper, sort of. Basically, yeah, kind of, yeah. The commune is run by a council of elders, and the sort of motto, the idea that they kind of have is like that truth lies in consensus. Everything is done in consensus, and the kind of like hyperbole about it is that even truth is determined by consensus in the commune. And uh, the commune handles nearly all local functions, including assessing, collecting, and delivering taxes, determining expenditures, repartitioning land among the work teams, administering justice and policing, overseeing household divisions, giving assistance to the needy, seeing to the needs of the church and the clergy, and dealing with local officials and military to whom you might have to provide food, transport, billeting, and or bribes if necessary. <laughs> Uh, so now we're going to uh, experience this commune life in a new way. Previously, we've done episodes where we sort of take on roles to sort of look onto the society from those perspectives. So it's kind of growing out of that, but we're going to go deeper into that than we ever have before. Um, this is going to be a role-playing game, basically. And for those unfamiliar with role-playing games, it's a bit like improv. Basically, Anna and Nick are going to play surf characters and they will get to explore around the surf commune, make choices, face challenges, and you, listener, can imagine playing your own character if you want as we go along. And the goal is, like I said, just to make the whole thing feel really immersive and have some fun while we're doing it. And by the way, almost everything today is going to be historically accurate, as much as possible, anyway. In some places, we will have to fill in details that just aren't described and so on, like the appearances of people and things, whatever, that kind of stuff. Um, but for the most part, we are sourcing our details from an actual historical surf commune, which is described in great detail in a book by Stephen Hoke called Surfdom and Social Control in Russia. And we have particularly detailed records of this particular commune because letters were exchanged between the bailiff, that was one of the high-up managers of the commune, and the landlord. And so... Between all those letters, we can work out a pretty good model of what it was like. Description of Russian displacer beasts. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We know exactly how many hit dice the <laughs> landlord had, what level his steward was. Yeah, definitely. We've got we've got it all mapped out and letters corresponding to the uh, treasure that you find. We know what treasure class. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so anyway, uh, this is pretty well substantiated stuff, and as the action of the story goes along, we will be giving the historical details and the context as well, so, we, so that we can get like a pretty well-rounded view of life on the commune. 
All right, Anna and Nick, the challenge that you will face today in、mm-hmm. our little game here is there actually be three challenges,、Ooh. and we'll see if we make them all in this episode. We don't know how long this is going to go. This might end up being two episodes. We don't know yet. But the first challenge is going to be finding food, basically, to feed your family.、Mm-hmm. The second challenge is going to be military draft.、Mm-hmm. And the third is going to be negotiating a wedding contract <laughs> with a displacer beast. Yes, <laughs> yes. And you guess which one you're most likely to die in. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> the wedding, clearly. <laughs> clearly. <laughs>、um, so anyway, I'm going to have you each make a surf character to play, and depending on your background. You may have certain advantages in certain situations, okay. and we will be trying out an extremely simple system for determining whether you succeed at challenges based on rock paper scissors. I、Ooh. call it rock paper raven, super duper double trademarked. <laughs>、ah. So rock shoes raven, paper covers rock, and raven pecks paper. Does that all work out? Does that make sense? Oh, oh, I see. Because okay, got it. Yeah. I think the paper should be tin foil. <laughs> Something shiny a raven would want to pick at. <laughs> right. And the gesture for a raven looks suspiciously like a like、Beak. scissors. Yes. Nothing at all like scissors. <laughs> That. Yeah. Now here's the thing: if your character has a major advantage, so it has to be a really substantial advantage in a situation, then a tie. Will go to you, and that's basically the whole system. Okay.、Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. So, are there disadvantages where you lose a tie? Yeah.、Uh, okay. Yes. Hold okay. One, so let's、forward. make characters. I'm going to give you three choices, basically three character classes. Okay. And then you can come up with names, maybe like a super simple backstory. All right. So here are your choices. You got three choices. The first one. I couldn't find a good term for it because it's just too common. But I'm going to call it a grunt. If you're a grunt, you're just going to be a basic village serf that labors in the fields.、Mm-hmm. Okay, and your advantage will be feats of physical endurance or strength, or when it comes to employing agricultural skill or knowledge that would be relevant to your profession. Like、right? finding food potentially. Potentially.、Um, your choice number two. You can be a bolshak. Or bolshitsa, which is a head of household. So the bolshak would be the male,、mm-hmm. or the bolshitsa would be the female head of household. And your advantage would be when attempting to persuade or command others in the village due to your status, and especially in your own household because you're basically you rule the roost. And your final choice is the sotski, which is literally hundredth. And it is basically an enforcer of discipline. It's a serf, but basically a police serf. You're in charge of 100 households, keeping discipline among them. And you might have deputies that also there's like a term for like tenths and fifths, but a sotski is basically a an enforcer of discipline. So are you an enforcer of rules set by your lord and his proxies, or rules set by the commune by the commune and the village elders? Yeah, they're intersections. Oh, okay, both. Yes. Good deal. And your advantage will be combat and investigation situations.、Ooh. Okay. Okay. All right. So now it's up to you to choose a class.、Let's、start with that. Well, I always pick first. So why don't you go? I'm gonna be a grunt. 
Okay. Yeah. Nick's a grunt. Okay. Okay, I want to be the investigator. So you're going to be the Sotsky? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Come up with a name for your character, and maybe you you can take it as far as you want. A little bit of background, if you want. This will, this part will be like fast forwarded, yeah. so you guys can actually think. Okay, so. Do you guys have some ideas for your characters? Mm-hmm. Okay. And I actually have some details about what, like, men's and women's surf's clothing. So we'll do that after we hear your characters, and then you can describe what your characters look like. Okay. Okay. All right, so first, let's hear about the grunt, Nick. All right, I'm Yvonne the Fool. Yvonne the Fool, okay. <laughs> All right, and you're a grunt. I am a grunt. Okay. I am the youngest son of the head of the household in my household, and... I am just coming of age and trying to avoid working in the fields whenever possible and spend most of my time whenever I can get away with it just sitting on the stove, oh, staring so at the wall. So you're a lazy grunt. I have a lazy grunt. Okay. <laughs> Interestingly, the landlords and the stewards and the bailiffs and all the management, including surf management, often criticized surfs as being lazy. That was like a, a really... In fact, it reached the point where the sort of like narrative was that it's part of the serf's nature that he's lazy like almost as if like nobles and serfs were two different species and one of them was lazy by nature and it was like the landlord's responsibility to kind of like keep them in line because otherwise they would just never do anything that's also the name of my new 90s revival hip-hop duo <laughs> which lazy by nature lazy <laughs> <laughs> this is funny because you know to get to this podcast, but the thing had to prod. But the thing that uh, modern scholars often um, interpret that as now is that the laziness may have actually been more to do with uh, sort of passive resistance by basically monkey wrenching the works from the inside. Sure. Yeah. So I don't know if your character is doing that or if he's just really lazy. It'll come up or not. <laughs> okay. All right, let's go over to the Enforcer of Discipline, the Sotsky. Okay, the Sotsky. Uh, her name is Zenya. That might not be an actual contemporaneous name with any peasant or anybody in this time period, but I'm reusing a name from a different campaign. Okay. Um, she's uh, inherited the role from her late husband, largely because she was the one who was doing a better job motivating him to do his than he was at doing it, and she's got a lot of things to prove. She hates slackers. <laughs> I can see how this is shaping up, oh, right? Yeah. And and we had a question of whether um, there would ever actually be a woman Sotsky, and we don't know, but I like the backstory you came up with, that she's exceptional because she's taking it over from her husband. Who okay. died under mysterious circumstances. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> no one will investigate that. <laughs> <laughs> no. Okay. Hi, honey. So, what it... What are we wearing? What do we look like? Let's get an idea of that. I'm going to give a few details about typical surf dress. Do I have a captain? What's a captain? Sorry, go on. Typical surf dress. <laughs> okay. All right. Okay, so for men, uh, you are extremely beardy. <laughs> I pictured that. <laughs> the, and in fact, I got a um, an actual description of male surf's appearance. 
from Henry Morley, who was a traveler to Russia, and he was writing in 1866. So, which was close to when we're doing yeah, this. not long after. I, I mean, he was traveling during serfdom time and published, and published yeah, so right after. Yeah. Anyway, he says he describes a male serf as uh, a little round, low-crowned black felt hat with narrow, turned-up rims. Covers the usual profusion of brown or carroty tangled locks, which are sometimes parted in front and cut straight at the neck. Every serf I have seen who had reached manhood had a beard, whiskers, and mustache, untouched by razors or scissors, so that most of these natural beards were magnificently long, rolling in soft curls or spreading and bushy. <laughs> and usually what I always sort of picture is like hair parted down the middle, semi-bowl cut for... Mm -hmm. Probably something like that. Um, also, there was a note that only serfs and priests wear beards. It's actually a sign of servitude mm. to wear a beard. So everybody else, the nobles and um, like bureaucrats and stuff, shaved. Really? Uh, maybe a mustache, but definitely cut with uh, a close shave for the rest of the face. Interesting. Um, men also wear a ragged coat of gray, brown, or black felt reaching just below the knees and belted at the waist. And the coat sometimes wraps sort of diagonally across the chest, which to me makes it look a little more Asiatic than you think of for Europeans. I mean, you can kind of put your hands inside that mm -hmm. kind of coat wrapping to keep your hands warm. You have trousers made of crash, which is an extremely coarse material sometimes used for kitchen towels, at least according to Henry Morley oh. at the time. So and... absorbent. <laughs> And footwear, which would be coarse linen rags wrapped around the feet up to the knees, perhaps corded around in that crisscross fashion, and with feet stuck into brown or gray felt shoes or boots. So that's a typical male surf dress. For women, surprisingly, I couldn't actually find very good written sources on this, but there are a lot of photos by this guy, William Carrick from Edinburgh, who um, traveled Russia and took photos. They'll be, they'll be on the website, listeners, if you want to take a peek. There is great regional variety, of course, but often what you see in these photos is a white chemise, which is kind of, kind of like a shift. And then over that is another dress, a traditional kind of dress called a sarafan, which is it's sort of a dress that starts just above the bust with some kind of sort of spaghetti straps, kind of like over mm -hmm. the shoulders. And then it proceeds from the above the bust all the way down to your below your ankles, basically, and might be quite colorful. And married women wear their hair done up in pleats. Not sure about unmarried women, whether that means that they have hair held down or if it's just in a different fashion, I don't hmm. know. But generally, women are seen in pictures, at least the ones I found, with some kind of headscarf or head yeah, covering anyway. Or... Yeah, yeah, kerchiefs or something. Fancier headwear would be the kokoshnik, which is a hat that can take the shape, anything from like a simple square sort of, to like an extreme cone head, like really tall cone head hat, to almost like a halo kind of thing. I've seen all of those. And I'm not sure if that's really surf or is that a little more higher class. I don't know. But I imagine on special days, at least, you might wear something like that. Hmm. Uh, but this is for married women only. Unmarried women wear something similar, but it's open in the back, and it's called a povyaska. 
It's reminding me of all the hat conversations in the Miraculous Susan episode. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out just what a, a Thanksgiving episode. Yeah. yeah. All right. You wear it with a camelid cloak. Yeah. Okay. So what do you think? Does that kind of describe what your what your characters look like, or do you want to make, add any details to it? No, that sounds good to Ooh, me. I think we can go from there. Okay. I, right. I'm assuming that I'm only very minimally beardy so far. Are you young? I'm very young. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like 16, probably. Okay, so now I'm going to give a little bit of an introduction, and then after that we'll start the game. Okay, the year is 1834. It is March, and your stomach is rumbling. In a normal year, you actually stay fed better than most peasants in Western Europe. However, this is not a normal year. Last season, all across Russia, the crops failed. On March 22nd, the bailiff which is the estate manager, who's also a serf, writes, and this is the actual thing he really did write on this estate um, in his like ledger or whatever, his journal, writes to the main estate office of your landlords, the Gagarin family in Moscow. He writes, as regards supplying food to the peasants, each family has been personally inspected and many of them were found to be in a most sorry state, not having the means to feed themselves and thus for four and more days have been without food. Compassion and the cries of children have required that all possible measures be taken for the benefit of His Excellency. Out of necessity, the monthly ration was fixed at 30 foots, one foot, foot equaling almost a pound, 0.9 pounds, per adult, 10 foots per child. Moreover, the taking of a household inventory was ordered for an accurate evaluation of the situation because it has been that many households do not have any horses. Horses being one of the main things that you need to work. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. These to be draft horses, work horses. By midwinter, the parish priests were already burying people without final sacraments mm. because there was just too much call for their services. Monthly rations got tighter and tighter as the winter wore on. Now you're subsisting on just 800 calories a day, which is only... 37% of your normal daily intake. And I imagine that your daily intake probably would never was great, although, as we said, better than peasants yeah. in Western Europe. So you have little to plant because you've been eating all your food, basically. You know, like eating the seed corn. Exactly. Yeah. You've, been, you've been eating up the seed corn, and you've almost completely exhausted your stores of rye, buckwheat, millet, and oats. Many of your livestock are also gone, having been slaughtered during the winter to keep you fed, but at the expense of future years. Basically, right. you've been using up your investment, your nothing retirement to plant fund. And nothing mm -hmm. to plant it with. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, your remaining animals are now sickly and emaciated. You've been stripping the thatch from the roofs of your huts in order to feed your animals. Hmm. It gets worse, though. Spring means <laughs> the military campaign season is fast approaching, and it is. It will soon be time for you to decide who will be drafted into the army. Mm. Now, the timing exactly of when the draft happens, I am speculating a bit there, but I imagine it has to be spring. It just only makes sense. So anyway, you live in Tambov province, which is roughly 200 miles or 320 kilometers southeast of Moscow. Okay. Okay. This region used to be in Tatar hands. Um, Tatars being um, the Mongols, basically or what the Europeans called the Mongols, um, and was only opened up to agriculture about a century ago. And even now, 
has a great deal of unsettled land, just like wide open wilderness, with serfs continually being transferred here from other regions to try to develop the area. Sure. Your home estate is called Petrovske, and it's owned by Prince Nikolai Sergeyevich Gagarin, who holds the title of Hofmeister, one of the highest government positions, but basically that means very little to you. It's just, he's somewhere up there. The Gagarin's main estate office is off in Moscow, and so far as you know, not one of the Gagarins have ever visited the estate. You've never seen them. They've never even traveled here. Probably trying to go to space. <laughs> yeah. I was wondering about that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there are about 3,500 serfs that live and work on the estate, between six to eight small settlements along the Varuna River, spanning an area of roughly 1,800 square miles, which is about 2,900 square kilometers. Your village, which is also called Petrovske, confusingly enough, is the largest settlement. You and the other serfs give Barshina, which is the labor obligations, mm -hmm. to the Gregarians, working their manorial lands three days a week while being allowed to work your own lands three days a week, remembering that it's actually the landlord that even owns those lands. Sure. They just give you the right to use the proceeds of those lands to feed yourself and your family. And then you rest on Sunday. Uh, and you work on the Bratna Brati system, which means brother for brother. And basically what that means is at any given time, half the serfs are working the Lord's lands and the other half is working their own right. lands. Right, so the village farms don't ever go uncultivated for exactly. three whole days. Exactly, but... yeah, that's right. The commune system here, as everywhere, is strikingly egalitarian in the sense that land is periodically redistributed to the husband-wife work teams so that productivity is maximized. Everyone gets the same amount of work, essentially, and the same amount of, la well, the same amount of land per work team. But it does not necessarily translate into harmony, social harmony. And the guy, the scholar that I'm getting this from, uh, Stephen Hoke, describes village of Petrovsky like this. At Petrovsky, there was not a spirit of community, but a conjunction of interests and a collusion of authority. Life was highly integrated, but not well integrated or harmonious. Dearth, demons, disease, and death stalked everyone. However, their consequences might be minimized. Insolence, disorderly conduct, quarreling, and fighting were common surf behavior. Serfs stole from the estate authorities and were beset by a constant and pervasive fear of corporal punishment, public ridicule, loss of status, recruitment, beholders, <laughs> and exile. Serf functionaries and family heads responsible for overseeing field work found laziness, negligence, apathy, and absenteeism widespread among the younger workers they had to supervise. Nick. Wait, what's his name? Ivan. Ivan. Nick. <laughs> threatening their patriarchal authority and privileges, their level of material well-being, and the profitability of the estate. This behavior was the inevitable concomitant of serfdom. In the end, far outweighing the economic exploitation of the landlord was the social oppression of serf over serf. Mm -hmm. Mm. Surf on surf action. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Okay, so now we're going to go to our first scene, the first challenge. Okay. This scene is called The Lone Hut. <laughs> okay. Mm. Yes. What's the experience? I'm going to cast Magic Missile. <laughs> I cast Detect Evil. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's plenty of evil around. 
Anyway, it is an icy night. The sun went down an hour ago, and darkness has crept up on you as you hurry on foot along a dirt road back to your village. You are headed home from an errand to the village of Kanin. Heavy on your back is a bundle of hay, which is what people here most often burn in the stove for warmth. You'd hoped to trade the hay for a sack of grain, but alas, no one was willing to sell you any. So I'm going to say that Ivan has the bundle of hay on his back. That would make sense. Yep. And I'm going to say that you, uh, what was your name again? Zenia? Uh, Zenia. Zenia also happened to be heading back to the village from Kanan, and you're just traveling together. All right. You and your family have not eaten in two days. And I'd say that's true for you too, um, Zenia. Your breath is a white cloud before you, but you keep yourself distracted from the cold by imagining familiar foods. Kasha, which is a granola-like cereal made from groats, which I think might be, you might be able to find that in a co-op these days, I yeah, think. Yeah, close. <laughs> um, also, kvass. Yay! I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right, yep. but it's a drink made from fermented bread. Yep. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Have you had it? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, they actually sell it uh, up at the, what is it, Hopkins? That little European grocery mm, store? I'm not sure it was actual gloss, though. Well, it was okay. delicious. Right. Uh, you also imagine rye bread, which all of, basically all of your bread is rye yeah. bread. Cabbage soup. Mm, she. And hell, you could even go for a potato right now. And you hate potatoes. Let me tell you why. What? The government has recently been pushing serfs to grow them, but you believe them to be immoral. <laughs> well, they are. <laughs> Again, you know, like beholders, they have a lot of eyes. <laughs> true. That's true. So an official, this is a real thing now, an official in Vyatka province was once told by serfs that the potato is a descendant of that sacred apple for which the original man was denied bliss, and that when it was abandoned with a curse on the ground, from it was born the potato. And consequently, these seeds are antichrist. <laughs> this is before they figured out how to make vodka from it. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Yeah. It must be. So yeah, because vodka's from potatoes, right? Yeah. Well, so I, I mean, guess eventually... You can do it with grain. So. Mostly from grain. Yeah. Okay, importantly. but it has potato in it? You can make it from potatoes, but it's... Okay. Almost oh. all vodka is just made from grain. Okay, so they must have had vodka by this time, and it was just not potato while, vodka. Yeah. So anyway, what he's saying is that potatoes come from the apple of the Garden of Eden yeah. or whatever, you know, the forbidden fruit. Right. So, yeah, you could even go for a potato right now. You're that hungry. <laughs> Suddenly, a noise summons you away from your fantasies. You hear rustling in the trees just off the road. It's hard to see in the darkness, but it sounds like footsteps. Hey, what do you do? Tell me your fantasies. Are they about potatoes? Um... <laughs> You know, no, usually, you hear rustling. I'm sorry. <laughs> usually, when there's rustling in the bushes and people talking about their fantasies on a dark night. Um, <laughs> okay, so what? What are we? What are we? Are we? We're together, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. Like, does it sound like it's lower on the bushes or a little higher up? Does it sound like a person or an animal? Kind of. It seems like it's behind the trees. Okay. Mm -hmm. How far off? Thirty feet. Mm -hmm. I'm assuming that we're. Would be too poor to have a gun or anything of the kind that we'd be taking with. I'll say you have like a hatchet for chopping wood. What do okay. I have? I'll say you have like a club since okay. you're an enforcer. Good. So do we have the sensation that this might be a game animal or are we about to get jacked? It but... sounds like footsteps. Okay. Oh, okay. All right. But we don't have anything worth stealing. 
but they might find this out after we're dead. So as you're thinking about this and, you know, straining your eyes and trying to listen in the complete darkness, out of the darkness... Good evening! (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) No, I'm saying that to the footsteps. Oh, okay. Good evening! Oh, okay. So when you say that, then a figure emerges out from behind the trees and comes up onto the road. And the figure has a familiar face, a young man with messy, dusky blonde hair and a peculiar sunken scar on the left side of his head. You'd recognize that scar anywhere. This is Ilya Agapov, who got kicked in the head by a mule when he was young, leaving the scar, right? You used to play together as children, but you haven't seen him since his family was transferred to Kanan to work the fields there. He must have followed you back from Kanan. He looks thin and gaunt. When you say, good evening, he comes out and he squints at you and says, is it you? Oh, by the grace of God, it is you. It's been so long I wasn't sure, so I followed you. When you took the turn toward Petrovske, I was more certain, but now I know for sure. How are you, fat as ever, I see? Of course, he always had a sarcastic sense of humor like that. What are you doing so far away from where you were assigned? Well, as I said, I I saw that you were in the village and wanted to see if it was really you. But now that I know, actually, I have a proposition for you. Christ save you, Ilya. Have you brought any grain? I hear there's grain in Kunin, though the bastards would not give me any. Actually, that is what my proposition regards. I know of a place not far from here, a lone hut in the woods where there is food. I'm sure of it. An illness carried off the serfs who lived there, but there's food still in there. There must be. Is there illness still in there? I imagine that it is gone. The miasma, no doubt has long since passed. What year is it? (laughs) (laughs) Germ theory has not yet reached our village. (laughs) Come with me and help me get past the dogs and I'll share the food with you. This sounds like naked theft. (laughs) But the serfs are gone, as I said. Are they gone because they are dead or are they gone because they are elsewhere? There are no serfs there. I have spotted out myself. What carried them off? Illness, as I said. How do you know it was not starvation? Even if there's no food there, I could eat one of the dogs. Let's go, Ilya. All right. Are you coming, Xenia? I will watch everything that you do. As I would only expect from a Sotsky. Ooh, look who's all lippy. Can't believe that you became one of those. I can't believe that you didn't get smarter after getting kicked in the head by a mule. (laughs) All right. So, he leads you through the woods until, through the branches, you can see a shed, a garden, and a log hut a typical surf dwelling called an izba. And Stephen Hulk, the author, describes a typical izba here. Inside the hut, the air was fetid from animal and foul excreta. The walls and ceilings were covered with soot and ash. Smoke, especially in the morning when the stove was lit, filled the top half of the izba. In the evening, soot from the luchinas, which are torches, stung the eyes. The dirt floor was always damp, and in the spring and autumn was muddy. It was impossible to keep cockroaches out of the food. They even became a symbol of abundance and material wealth and a sign of good luck. In fact, when moving to a new home, the head of the household would bring a few roaches with him and let them loose in the new place. These were the conditions under which all the serfs lived for at least a third of the year, late winter. I would love to be completely immune and or cheered by the sight of cockroaches. (laughs) So, 
this ispa is pretty much like all the others you've seen, including your families, except that it's not part of a village. It is secluded in the woods all by itself, a lone hut. And you wonder what made this family choose to live out here. Maybe they were employed felling wood for the Gagarins, or maybe they were shunned for some reason. Either way, they're dead now. Come on, says Ilya, and he creeps toward the hut, keeping low and quiet. Ilya, why are there still dogs here if the serfs are dead? Uh, well, the dogs must not have been affected by the illness. Come on, let's are go. Are they inside the hut, or are they running free around? Too many questions. Come on, let's just... Vital questions which involve being bitten by dogs. <laughs> I hang back. Okay. Do you enough go with to him? hear, but I'll enough go with to... Him. Okay. It's a good thing I'm a brave fellow. I'd be a little spooked by this. <laughs> oh, come on. When we played games in the woods, you were never that scared. Anyway, when you get to the structures, Ilya says, The garden will have been long since picked clean of its cabbages and cucumbers, but there will surely be something squirreled away inside the structures, I'm sure of it. I'll check the shed. You check the hut. So he goes off to the shed. The hut uh, is a log hut. It has a window, ornately decorated, though weathered and grimy, shuttered against the wind and cold, so it's closed against it. You can't see in the window. Mm -hmm. And it has a single door. And if this hut follows the typical floor pan that you're familiar with, the door will open into a storage space called a sen, and that's where household items like clothes and, most importantly, food are typically stored. Mm. Okay. So, Ivan, what do you do? Any light or anything coming out from... No. Any sounds coming from inside? You listen? Uh-huh. You think maybe you heard the cluck of a chicken, but you're not sure. All right, I'm excited. I'm opening the door, but quickly crossing myself beforehand. Okay. And saying a quick prayer to the Holy Mother to protect me from any evil that's inside. Anything you're doing, Zenia? Shouldn't you be praying to whoever the patron saint of thieves is? <laughs> I'm looking around. What month is this? Uh, so this is March now. Is there still snow on the ground? Yes. The Holy Mother takes care of thieves and bold fellows as much as she does anyone else. Okay, patron Quit your saint heresy. idiots. I'm looking around. Are there like? Is there still snow on the ground? Mm-hmm. Do I see any evidence of tracks? Any footprints? Let's make a challenge. Okay. Since you have investigation as an advantage, as mm -hmm. a Sotsky, okay. if we have a tie, you win. Okay. Rock, paper, raven, and then shoot is when... So rock, paper, raven, shoot, and then that's when you... Okay. Okay, Got ready? It. Rock, paper, raven, shoot. Tie you goes win. to you. Okay. What do I see? You see footprints leading off into the woods. Do they look like they belong to Ilya? Like he might have come here on an earlier recce, or do they look like... They this... look too big for his feet. Interesting. I'm going to start edging up closer to where you are. Okay. Uh, that is to say where yeah. um, Ivan is. Okay, back to Ivan. You said you open the door? I do. Okay. The door opens silently into the scent. So far, it seems normal. You find clothes, a sickle, a lamp, a striker for the lamp, which has flint in it. So oh, nice. Can... But no food. Beyond the Sen beckons the main space of the hut. I think it's called a Gornitsa, although I'm not completely sure. But the main space is a single room, less than 400 square feet. And right now, well, <laughs> right now back home, your family of eight would likely be huddled in just such a space trying to keep warm around the stove. You'd have, like, Literally eight people in less than 400 square feet sleeping at night. You strain to see around the room, but it is simply too dark to see right now. 
I'm going to light the lamp. I'm going for that chicken. All right. You get the striker and you light the lamp. Uh Uh-huh. You see an empty room. In one corner, you see a table with some stools around it and a painting above it. In the other corner is a closed stove. Along the walls are raised pellets for sleeping, all empty. I'm going to listen for that chicken. (laughs) You don't hear a chicken right now. You thought you heard it before. Where's the, um, is there an icon or anything in the, in the hut or a place where it would be? Are you entering the hut? I'm going to stand on the threshold and I'm going to call out, Hello! Hello, the keepers of the hut! Is there anyone here? Quiet! You are greeted with silence. No, you're greeted with Yvonne saying, Quiet! <laughs> God save you and keep you! We were told that there were dead people here. Don't talk to the dead people. There might be a chicken. Uh, I, did, I cast detect, e- no, zone of truth. <laughs> you don't hear anything. All right, well, then I'm going to cross the threshold and look for something to light. I'm going to light a candle. I've already here with the he, lamp. Already, he has the lamp. It's already lit. I know, but in case that anybody thinks that are that we're just mere thieves, I'm going to prove otherwise by lighting the okay. taper over the so whole So you're image. looking for something else to light. Something that would indicate we're not just just people who are bungling in. If I can light a taper that's in front of like an icon or something that indicates that we have some higher sentiment than just being a bunch of thieves. Okay. What do you do? I don't like your imputations about thieves. Why are you here? <laughs> what are you looking for? No, I meant about the fact that thieves are necessarily impious. My point that, that's, is... That's slander. Yvonne, sit and your... I don't need to take it. Listen, if this is not, an, in fact, an abandoned domicile, and somebody comes back and sees us rifling through things, they'll think we are thieves. Whereas if we're people who stumbled onto a hut, had reason to suspect that it was honestly abandoned, and then showed a little piety, it indicates that we're not just... People who knock things over in the middle of the night. No, it's a good idea. Light a, light a candle in front of the icons. Yes, yes, I will. It, it might drive away any of the disease that's here. Um, <laughs> where is it? Where is it? It seems to be coming from the stove corner. Right, I'm going to go over to the stove corner and try and open the stove. Okay. The stove is closed. Okay. Directly above the stove is the pellet where the bullshock, or head of household, patriarch, would normally sleep. The patriarch's word is absolute within the household. Russian ethnographers of the period commented frequently on the patriarch's strict, almost despotic control. And it is said that a spirit called a dedushka demovoy lives behind the stove below the patriarch's bed and talks only to him. This That's spirit... nonsense. He talks to me too. <laughs> I talk to the Domovoy all the time. I spend all of my time sitting behind the stove. Does the Domovoy sound like a chicken, you fool? <laughs> Does it say, don't go out to work today? Stay in and watch cartoons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sometimes. The surfs are on. <laughs> God. <laughs> okay, anyway. So this spirit likes hard work and fastidiousness and thriftiness. Not ours. And <laughs> and blesses the household with prosperity if it's pleased, or blasts it with misfortune if it is not pleased. You wonder how this family must have displeased its spirit to end up like this, carried off by illness. And as you are wondering that, you hear a sound from behind the stove. It sounds like the clock of a chicken. I'm going to go behind the stove. Behind the stove, you see a white hen huddled, trying to keep warm. And it cocks its eye up at you. And just then, Elia opens the door to the hut and says, Look what I found! And you see that he is 
holding the reins of two dark-colored mares, two horses. He's like, imagine the amount of food that we could trade these for. Trade where? There's no food anywhere. Then... What do you mean? There's food right here. I'm going to grab the chicken. Then, suddenly, you hear a voice shout from outside the hut, far off. Hey, get out of there! Thief! Thief! What do you do? I'm going to grab the chicken. Yep, you got the chicken. All right. Thank you, little father. I'm going to briefly um make a little mention of thanksgiving to the Domovoy, who obviously knows the Domovoy from my house. Back okay, home. in the middle of your prayer, Ilya's like, come on, and jumps on one of the horses. He's got one more for you, and you can get another person behind him. All right, I'll jump on too. You Zania? can try. I'm going to try to trip you. Okay, so you're trying to trip him. Yes. All right, you guys need to make a test then. All right. Rock, right. paper, scissors between you to see who succeeds. Okay, it's on four, right? Yep. Rock, paper, scissors. Okay, yep. okay, let's try one. Damn. Mm-hmm. So uh, Yvonne succeeds at getting on the horse. I- Zinya, you are left behind. Ride faster. Leave behind the spy. <laughs> That's what you call? Nice. Okay. That's what I'm saying so to Ilya. Ilya and Yvonne ride off on the horses. Zinya, you are left behind. And a man with a long white beard carrying a musket runs up and says, Don't move! Good day. Good day, my arse. What are you doing here? I was told by one of the neighboring peasants from the from the village of, what was it? Kanan. Kanan? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I have his name and also the name of one from my village who were told that there was no one here and that plague had carried off the, the inhabitants. I was under the suspicion that it was actual theft. And now that it seems to be the case, as I assume that you are the landholder here, I can tell you where they are. Hmm. He takes his long white beard and annoyingly flicks it over his shoulder and he says, carried off by illness, indeed. I didn't think it looked like there was any indication of illness, and not to mention I noticed your footprints leading off. Hmm. Well, by the look of you, I can tell that you're a Sotsky, so I guess it's not surprising that you would be the one I could trust in this situation. You say you have the names of the others? Yes, the boy who took your chicken is from my village. His name is Ivan, the fool. And there was a second that I saw took both my horses. What's his patronomic? Ilya's patronomic? Agapov. Well, Ilya Agapov from Kunin. Ah. If you have their names, you know where to find them. I will deal with Ivan. I think I've heard of this Ilya. He used to be from our village. He was Uh, transferred to Kunin. Well, it's in the dark of night, and we won't catch them now on foot. We will tell the authorities in the morning, and they will be brought to justice. This is acceptable. Don't fuck with me. Seriously. (laughs) All right. I hope you like your chicken. It's the last one you'll ever have. Okay. I'm going to call for one final test, and okay. that'll be the end of this scene. And it'll also be the end of this episode, because we're getting toward the end, and then the next episode, we'll do the other two scenes. Okay. Okay? The final test is going to be when the authorities come looking for you and Ilya to uh-huh. see if you're able to get away, to, okay. to evade the authorities yeah. or not. Okay? So, uh, as a grunt... You've got strength and physical endurance, agriculture, so it doesn't seem like you would get an advantage in this. No, I okay. am going to try and persuade Ilya to give up one of the two mares mm-hmm. to someone, to the village elder in our village, mentioning how much food he could sell that for to feed the whole family, saying that I... Are you trying to get the the whole village like on the hook for this theft? I'm going to try and get the whole village to cover for us. Okay. You're bribing. Okay, so you're you're more persuading, bribing. So it's more of like a talky kind of solution. Nice. 
Okay, still no advantage, but let's see if you succeed. All right. All right. Rock, paper, raven, shoot. And you succeed. All right. Virtue so is dead. The village elders uh, see the virtue and wisdom in this decision. Being able to feed their villagers is more important to them than getting another flogging, which they are well familiar with at their age. So they agree. All right. That was good. All right. Yeah. And we... That was some good action, and we uh, learned a little bit about, like, peasant huts mm -hmm. and what the estate is like and everything like that. Okay. Very what nice. What happens yeah. to the chicken? Yeah. I eat it. <laughs> <laughs> do you share the chicken with the other villagers, or do you keep no, that? Yellow? I keep the chicken myself. Ah, what kind of stew do you make? Yeah, who cooks it for you, Yvonne? My mother. <laughs> oh, God. And she's just going to, oh, you have a random chicken. I'm sure that's not suspicious. <laughs> Okay, well, anyway, a little bit by way of epilogue. Mm -hmm. So the character of Ilya is not entirely made up oh. by me. There really was an Ilya. I added details like the what he looked kick like the and, the, and the kick in the head yeah. with the mule. But what we know of Ilya was that... So historically, all we know of him is that he was a villager from Canaan who got caught stealing horses, two of them, and was ordered to repay a sum equal to the horses in livestock uh, to the people he stole them from. He was then flogged and sent off to the estate authorities for criminal investigations. Here, I'm taking a little bit of poetic license by working him yeah. into the story. And he might show up in our next episode as well. well took the horses to a chop the shop. Cossacks. I, they respect <laughs> a good horse thief. Like, you yeah. get drunk, you're never always well fed. Yeah, no kidding. All right. Get to yell at sultans. Well, that's it for this episode, folks. Thanks for being on the show once again. Avon uh, and Xenia. You should know not to fuck with Yvonne the Fool. Have you ever read a fairy tale? He always wins. Oh, that's why you picked it. Yes. Let me guess. You're the seventh son of a seventh son. No, just the youngest son. Typical. Yeah. Asshole youngest children. <laughs> anyway, thanks for listening, everybody. Do you have a dead idea that you would like us to explore? If so, we want to hear about it. Write us in at deadideaspod at gmail.com. Did you like this kind of role-playing style of episode? If so, tell us that, too. You can also find us on social media at, at deadideaspod or on our website at www.deadideas.net. The website has lots to explore, including a map, references, and links for this series, as well as beautiful graphic design by Rachel Westhoff. And last but not least, be sure to support us on Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash deadideaspod. For your modest contribution, you too can get your portrait drawn in the time period and culture of your choosing. So check it out. Which one's the forward slash again? <laughs> See you next time, everybody. I'm BT Newberg, and this is Dead Ideas. <laughs>